You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful Pella Windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Let's get right to it. The ongoing out-of-control violence in the city of Milwaukee continues unabated. Latest story, Milwaukee double shooting near Fond du Lac in Congress. Milwaukee police are investigating a shooting incident in which two persons died near Fond du Lac in Congress. Milwaukee police uh, double fatal shooting 1245 a.m. 37-year-old Wauwatosa man, 41-year-old Milwaukee man died as a result of their injury. The circumstances leading up to the shooting are still under review. So, again, that's the the catchphrase. And then, of course, the, the, the phrase that's almost always attached to these things when you read the press releases, Milwaukee police say they're investigating the circumstances and are seeking unknown suspects. I do not fault the police for this because the truth of the matter is there's just so many shootings. There are so many murders that go on in the city that to clear them all, to figure out what's going on, it almost becomes a a daunting task. Um, The Milwaukee Police Department, as I've referred to before, to, to their credit, they have a... They have a crime scoreboard that's out there, so you can see what's going on in the city. It's always kind of a lagging indicator, but it just... Uh, it just demonstrates how scary things are on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee. Year to date, according to the according to the schedule, there's 129 homicides. I, that's always a lagging indicator. For example, I don't think that includes the the two that occurred 12:45 a.m. this morning. But let, let's let's work with that. They say 129, even though there've been more. To give you perspective, I mean, I can remember. Really not that long ago when a hundred homicides for an entire year were absolutely unthinkable. You, you just didn't get that. Now here we are. We're, we're not even, well, just a little bit more than halfway through July and you're looking at a hundred and twenty nine homicides already. Last year was a record year for homicides in the city of Milwaukee and, um, you had a total of a hundred and ninety three. So this time last year there were ninety one homicides which were all in all a little less than half of the total homicides. This year, and that was an all-time record, this year, 129 homicides already. So keeping that same pace, if the murders continue at the same pace they continued last year, we're going to be darn near 300 murders in the city of Milwaukee. The city of Milwaukee is going to be close to 300 murders. Now, I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope things calm down a little bit, but there's no indication of that happening at all, at least right now. Non-fatal shootings, and I always make the point that uh, anytime there is a shooting, it could lead to it to a death. Many times when people are shot and they survive, it is just bad aim or, uh, you know, there but for the grace of God or a tribute to emergency medic- medicine or, or whatever. This year, as far as non-fatal shootings, 463. Um, this time last year, 457. So we're above that as as well. 
just the, the carjackings. 208 this year, 181 last year. So last year, which was a record for most of the categories of serious crime, at least in several of these categories, we are on pace to not only break last year's record, a record that you don't want to come close to breaking, but also we're going to shatter these records unless something happens. And I, it's just, you, you kind of throw up your hands, and, and I feel bad for, <clears throat> first of all, people who have to live in these high crime areas that you have to put up with this on a on a daily basis the gee you know what was that was that a firecracker no you know it was gunshots and we've got more bodies that are there and more bodies that are down i feel very bad for the people who are trapped in those neighborhoods i understand the frustration that some politicians have but you know what we are reaping what we have sowed and when you have years and years of policies that do not discourage and in some cases encourage criminal behavior, why should we be surprised? Which leads me to where I want to start off. Um, let's see. Car, th- motor vehicle theft this year, just to give you an idea of the numbers. Last year was a staggering year. Last year they had almost 10,500 cars that were stolen. And at one point late last year, the, the total number of cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee was more than the total number of cars stolen in the city of Chicago. And I'm not talking about per capita. I'm talking about total numbers. Now, I think I don't think that quite worked out at the end of the year, but it was darn close. And Chicago has five times the population that the city of Milwaukee has. Last year at this time, there were 5,500 cars that were stolen. This year, 4,857 cars. So that, that's down, and that's good. But to give you some perspective... Two years ago, 2020, at the same time, there were 1,895 cars stolen. So between 2020 and this year, 1,895, two years ago, same time, 4,857 cars stolen this year. And, of course, as we've talked about repeatedly, you have people who aren't afraid to steal cars. There's no fear of consequences. And, you know, it's kind of become like this giant game, at least for the the bad guys. So here's the story. The, The Milwaukee Police Department announced different initiatives, three new initiatives to combat reckless driving and auto theft. One new initiative is going to be the deployment of bait cars to catch Auto thieves. So in other words, what they're going to do is they're going to take various cars, um, particularly I think it's going to be models of cars which are frequently stolen, and what they will do is these cars will be equipped so police can remotely disable them in the event someone tries stealing them. So what they're going to do is they'll put these bait cars out, and hopefully somebody will come along. If a car thief tries to steal them, the police will be able to immobilize it, and they'll be able to catch the thief. That That's the idea. So bait cars, no problem with that initiative at all. They're partnering with the state patrol to try to catch people. No problem with that. And then they're going to do this thing with anti-theft decals. And what this is, is if you put one of these decals up on your car, it signals to officers on patrol that um, the vehicle is not usually on the road between the hours of 11 and 5 a.m. That's when a lot of auto thefts occur. So this this decal gives the permit the police permission they don't need probable cause they don't need reasonable suspicion it says if you see this car on the road at one o'clock in the morning 
you can pull it over and stop it and check it out. So it's where the owner is consenting to do that. Why would you do something like that? Well, it's like, okay, it's my car. First of all, it's not typically on the road between 11 and 5, and if you see it out on the road, most times that means it's probably like a stolen car or something like that. But otherwise, even if it is a situation where I'm driving, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning, I don't mind being pulled over because I'll be able to prove that it's my car. I have no problems with any of these three initiatives, and I applaud the police for doing them. But, 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 can we have an honest conversation None of this is going to make any difference at all. The bait cars, cops catch somebody in the act of stealing a a car, that's great. Uh, You pull over a car at 1 o'clock in the morning because of this decal, turns out that it's been stolen, that's great. The state patrol is helping out, they catch, they pull over a car that's involved in reckless driving, that's great. But none of this is going to make any difference unless... One other key thing, or actually two other key things, happen. And so far, I'm not hearing anything about those. What are those things? First and foremost, the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office has to charge people with committing crimes. If it's juveniles, they've got to aggressively go after them. If they're repeat offenders, they've got to wave them into adult court. So you have to have prosecutions and not this, oh, we're going to warn you and these type of things. And secondly, you have to have the out-of-control Milwaukee County court system, which is bending over backwards to release dangerous people. They have to make a commitment that says, we're going to start locking up people. What good does it do to catch three 14-year-olds who happen to have the misfortune to steal a bait car? Oh, these are 14-year-olds. If those kids are going to be back out on the street two and a half hours later looking to steal some other car. I have no problem at all with any of these different initiatives. I applaud the cops for doing it. But this is not where the problem is. The problem is we do not prosecute. We do not treat these crimes seriously. And until you start doing that, and until you've got the DA's office and the court system, the judicial system on board with this, nothing is going to change. 855-616-1620. What do you think? See, I... You know, it's fine. Police hold these press conferences and say, okay, we're, we're going to have these different initiatives. We're going to have a bait car, and we're going to ask people to put these stickers in their window, allowing us to pull their cars over, you know, without probable cause if you see them on the street late. That, and those are all fine. I, I have no issue with any of that. I applaud them for doing it. But you know who doesn't show up at these press conferences? You don't have anybody from the DA's office saying enough is enough, and we are going to announce a policy where we're going to bring felony charges against, I don't grand theft auto charges against people who steal the cars. We're going to make a conscious effort to move to waive juveniles that steal cars into adult court. You don't have any of the judges coming out and saying, we recognize that this is a problem and we're on board with trying to enforce the laws. So as long as you you don't have a court system that's buying into this, you don't have prosecutors that are buying into it, it, it's great to have this headline. And all right, and you say, oh, that's fine. People are doing stuff. But I mean, I'm tired of the talking about it. You want to see action. 
action, and you're not going to get action until the DA's office makes a commitment that they're not going to give away these cases, and, in fairness, until the court system, which in Milwaukee County is an absolute joke when it comes to trying to enforce laws, makes a commitment that they're going to get these people off the street, that you're going to wave after that juvenile steals the fifth or sixth car, okay, maybe you recognize that, okay, this is a guy who's on the way to being a career criminal, maybe what you need to do is you need to treat him as an adult instead of this, oh, okay, we caught, you got caught, you stole the bait car, you got caught, here, we're going to turn around, and you're back out on the street two and a half hours later to steal another car, because that is precisely what happens now, and every one of these juvenile punk car thieves knows it. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, you stole my thunder. It's, uh, it's all like God, uh, but there's nothing going to happen to these people. I mean, there's crickets from the judge and the DA and everything. Uh, I want these people off the streets. You know, back in the Old West, you used to hang horse thieves. You can't do that now, but I mean... Uh, there has to be some action to get these people off the streets, and there is nothing being said. Right, well, right. And that's it, really it, a shame. It, it, exactly. And how can you have – look, I, I, I get it. The cops have these conferences. That's fine. You get the headlines. But I, I don't see the district attorney's office coming out and saying, we have finally realized that our policy of being lenient when it comes to car thieves and it's been uh, being lenient when it comes to reckless drivers – this has been a complete and total failure. You don't hear them saying that, and then you don't hear somebody from the, the court system. Yeah, exactly. No, no. Th- thanks for calling. You don't have somebody from from the court system, and, and these judges are flat out never held accountable for these the, the sentences that do not hold bad guys uh, accountable. We we just don't don't do that. There are some. There are a handful of really good judges in Milwaukee County, but I can name them. I could name them on. Well, certainly on the five uh, the five digits on one hand, um, maybe I don't even need all those different digits. In general, you have this response of we're going to bend over backwards to put people out on the street over and over and over again to continue to prey on everyone else. 855-616-1620. And I guess one of the other things that frustrates me is the mainstream media in this town, nobody asks these questions. Okay, Chief, that's great. You've got the bait car. That's super. What what are we going to do to try to hold that person that you count so, accountable? So what's going to happen? You catch the 14-year-old in the process of stealing the bait car. Okay, that, that's great. You you arrest them. What have we solved if all they're going to be done do is that they, they take them down to juvenile hall and three hours later they're back out on the street, which is what happens in an enormous number of cases. And I understand that it's a problem beyond what the police chief can do. And I'm not ripping on the Milwaukee police chief or this initiative. I'm just saying this doesn't get us anywhere until we recognize that this soft on crime, turn them loose, no accountability system that we have had in place for years and is embodied by a number of the judges that are making the decisions and a number of the prosecutors that are making the decisions, these these are not going anywhere. Jeff, why do judges and DAs do this? What's in it for them? Well, interesting question. And I think, you know, it's tough to generalize here. For the judges, well, I think a lot of the judges are, by nature, very, very liberal. They're soft on crime. They don't want to lock people up. It's like we want to give people another chance, and we want to give people another chance, and we want to get people another chance. The way the system also works here is if you do get that tough-on-crime judge, criminal defense attorneys get one free substitution in Wisconsin. You can say, okay, we've got four judges here. This one judge, tough-on-crime, we're just going to substitute. Don't have to do anything else. We're 
we're going to try to put them out of business. And that's exactly what they do. So it's a combination between, I, I think, this soft on crime, liberal approach that you come with. A lot of people on the bench, they're, they're public defenders. They came from the public defender's office. That is their orientation. Or... They're on the bench, no real significant criminal law experience. They were, I don't know, political operatives, or they worked for a couple years at a law firm or something, and they've got some political connections, and so they're on the bench, and they they don't. It's like, well, we don't want to hold these people accountable, and we don't want to get the families angry if if we're putting people in prison, and, gee, we're, we're really worried that we're going to put too many of this type of person or that type of person in jail, and then we're going to be accused of discrimination or whatever. No. What you have to do is is recognize that crime is colorblind. Crime is colorblind. And what you have to do is get the criminals off the street. Um, Jeff, true, so true. Why bother with bait cars? Enough is enough um, to make people aware uh, we need th- these different, you know, crimes. Jeff, who appointed or elected these judges and why are they not holding them accountable? Well, okay. I mean, judges were appointed, I mean, recently, last couple years. You know, Tony Evers has had a chance to put a bunch of his choices on the bench, and I think you can look back at a couple of really high-profile cases and determine that the Evers appointment have been disasters. You also have, you know, people who run for office. Milwaukee County is dominated by liberals, and so that's what ends up happening. Almost nobody challenges a sitting judge. Once you get elected, you're almost never going to have opposition, and it doesn't matter how hard you work, whether you're liberal, whether you're conservative, you're just not going to get opposition as a general rule, so there's no accountability. Accountability. Jeff, why don't the chief and the mayor use their bully pulpit to call out the DA and judges? Somebody needs to apply pressure. Why not them? Why aren't they? What a good question. You're exactly right. That's where the bully pulpit needs to be. And, and that's where, you know, I look, I, I think Cavalier Johnson's done a decent job in his first hundred days as, as mayor. And that's where, you know, the new police chief, you'd like to see them out there. And when you get these ridiculous plea bargains that are made, or where you get these incredibly soft on crime sentences, wouldn't it be interesting to have the elected officials or the appointed officials, in this case, the police chief coming out and saying, look, this is what Judge so-and-so did in his or her courtroom over the course of the last week. These are the sentences that were handed down. These are the various car thieves that we caught. Here's what happened to car thief one, probation. Here's what happened to car thief two, probation. Here's what happened to car thief three, you know, one week in the county jail. Let, let's, and, and then let the public see that. You're so right. I would love to have these politicians use the bully pulpit um that's it jeff this is all well and good and the mpd is at least trying something i give them credit for that yeah i I, absolutely um i had my car windows broken twice in one month on brady i didn't even bother calling the cops or anything i just replaced my windows myself because i knew nothing was going to be done yeah that that's absolutely right you know broken windows Nothing exactly going to happen with with the broken windows. You're you're right. I mean, the car, your car could get stolen and nothing is going to happen. Your car can get stolen and be used in a 90 mile an hour police chase. And probably, unless, you know, the person that's being chased runs through a red light and hits and kills somebody, probably nothing is going to happen to that as well. So I'm all in favor of bait cars and all this. But let's be honest. This is like putting a tiny little Band-Aid on a wound that requires about 100 stitches. And until the district attorney's office and the criminal court system in Milwaukee County wakes up to what is going on, things aren't going to get better. All right. 
One of my texters, Jeff, why take the job if you're not going to do it? I mean, referring to the judges and DA's office. Well, let's talk about judges a minute. There's a number of reasons why people want to be be judges, and some have a love for the law. Others view it as a stepping stone. I'll be a circuit court judge, then I'll be an appellate court judge, then I'll be a Supreme Court justice and all that. But in many cases, you know what a circuit judge in Milwaukee County makes? $155,000 a year. Now, there are some people on the circuit bench that could make more than that in private practice. There's a lot that couldn't come close to making 155000 That is just the truth. So why take the job if you're not going to do it? Well, $155,000 a year. That's a pretty good reason. Actually, that's 155,000 reasons. The candidates are set, and the race to challenge Governor Evers is on. Join us this Sunday night at 6 for the Republican gubernatorial debate, moderated by TMJ4 News' Charles Benson and Shannon Sims. Hear from Tim Michaels, Rebecca Clayfish, and Tim Rantham. That's this Sunday night at 6 on News Radio WTMJ. Speaking of that, uh, Rebecca Clayfish is going to be scheduled to be in the studio Monday afternoon from 2 to 3. We'll be talking to her about her campaign and why she thinks she's best positioned to beat Tony. Tony Evers in the fall and all the differences to the extent there are any material differences between her and Tim Michaels have an invitation into the Michaels campaign to give them a similar hour of time sometime next week have not heard back from them. All right. Last night, prime time. Now, maybe some of you were watching like baseball on television. Some of you were maybe, you know, watching something else. Maybe you were just kind of out and about enjoying the weather. But there was, at least for the moment, the final hearing on the January 6th committee uh, of the committee. And as with the other televised events, it was, I think, very, very well produced. There's clearly a theme that the committee has. And it's it's staged in an interesting fashion. You know, it, it's a made-for-television event. And last night was concentrating on the, the three-plus hours and what Trump did from the time that the Capitol was, the, the, whether you want to call it a riot or an uprising or an insurrection or whatever, the the three hours and what Trump did. And, and, and as I have said before about all these different hearings, I... I don't know and I don't believe that we've plowed any material new ground over the course of the last you know, several weeks. I think what's coming out is what was pretty much known before. Now, it's being repackaged and presented in a more dramatic fashion, but it's, it's the fact that you know, Donald Trump did not accept the fact that he lost the election in early November of 2020. And yes, he lost the election. He surrounded himself with increasingly crazy people who were trying to, you know, argue one theory or another as to how he could stay in power. He was just grasping at straws. And I mean, anytime you're taking advice from Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and ignoring, you know, other people that that demonstrates Okay, where where your head is at? There is no question in my mind that his behavior on January sixth was absolutely shameful. You know, he clearly incited. Now, I don't know in a criminal sense, but he clearly spurred on that mob, not necessarily to go storm the Capitol, but spurred on that mob to object to to fight. We're going to be upset with this. This is an absolute outrage. And then he kind of washed his hands and stayed on the sidelines for three hours while people were storming the Capitol. I remember sitting in this very chair while that was going on, and I remember saying, you know, the, the President of the United States needs to go on TV right away and tell his supporters, knock it off. 
and and he didn't. He didn't for hours, and that is forever a, a shameful thing. There's an investigation that's being conducted by the Justice Department determining whether or not there's going to be any sort of criminal responsibility. My guess is that's probably not going to go anywhere. So the effect of this hearing has been to, uh, again, present the what I think was the absolutely shameful behavior of Donald Trump up to, you know, from the time the election ended through, you know, January 6th and thereafter. Um, beyond that, I, I don't know that it covers, like I say, any sort of new ground. The stuff that's been presented was presented by and large in a per- admittedly a different fashion, but it was presented at the impeachment hearings. I mean, he was impeached. He was subsequently not convicted. There's been book after book after book written about this. So I, I don't know that we covered any new ground. It was just packaged in a different form. The Wall Street Journal today has an op-ed column. It's written by guy named Joseph Epstein, and uh, he's written a series of, of books, and here's the headline. Biden and Trump are both bums. Let me, and let me just read a portion of this, and then we're going to open up the phone lines. I've got a specific question. May the January 6th committee hearings ensure that there's no 2020 rematch in the 2024 presidential election. I've watched more than 16 hours of the January 6th committee hearings and plan to watch the rest. I've learned some things, though not many. And I grant that the hearings might have been more effective if some aggressive Republicans, scowling in their shirt sleeves, were present to cross-examine the witnesses. But then I have my own motive for watching. I hope they will sweep Donald Trump out of public life and return American politics to the old, calm, yes, even dull days. The hearings have revealed that Mr. Trump clearly enjoyed the violence visited on the Capitol on January 6, 2021, and that he inspired it. He has yet to renounce that violence or denounce the groups that participated in it. A bully, a narcissist, and a sociopath, Mr. Trump has been called many names, but he is above all shameless, which isn't the first quality one looks for in a president. Granted, he stabilized the economy, slashed regulations, and stimulated employment among blacks and Hispanics. He forced various North Atlantic Treaty Organization members to pull their weight, got us out of the misbegotten treaty with Iran, and moved the U.S. Embassy from Israel to Jerusalem. One could even argue that Vladimir Putin might not have gone into Ukraine had Mr. Trump still been president. But discredit where discredit is due. Mr. Trump is also responsible for Joe Biden, who may go down as among the most ineffective presidents in American history. Mr. Biden won 81 million votes in 2020, yet who can doubt that roughly 50 million were votes less for him than against Mr. Trump, whose relentless, rebarbative style pushed his accomplishments into the shadow. Mr. Biden, meanwhile, went back on his promise to unite the country and instead led to a progressive program of big spending that, along with inducing inflation, has further divided the country. And then he goes on to talk about how hopefully, you know, the effect of the January 6th committee might be that Donald Trump is done as a viable political entity. And Joe Biden, by his performance in office over the last two years, has demonstrated that he's done as a viable political entity. And his point is, if that's what comes of all this, then then the committee has has done a good job. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As at least this phase of the committee hearings wind down, and my guess is there will be more and more and more until the committee ultimately dissolves at the end of this year. My question is this. What have they accomplished? Has it changed your opinion? Has it changed your view? Has it been an ultimate waste of time? Or has this been, well, just as compelling as Watergate, et, et cetera? 
your reaction to what's been going on for the last couple months. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This column I was reading from the Wall Street Journal, one of the things he writes is, all of which is why I wish the January 6th committee well in disqualifying Mr. Trump from high office. In doing so, it would also likely eliminate the candidacy of Mr. Biden. For it has been said with some persuasiveness that the only hope Biden has to win re-election is to be opposed by Mr. Trump, which, by the way, I agree with completely. Uh, Joe, Joe Biden, his poll numbers, he's getting to like Richard Nixon poll numbers during the height of Watergate. And he's not going to be able to bring that back. The, the only the only way I see Joe Biden getting reelected if he chooses to run again would be again if he runs against Donald Trump. And so the point is, OK, maybe. Maybe we need to clean the decks and clear the decks and, like, bring on fresh blood. 855-616-1620. Let's start with John in Waukesha. John, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, John. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's been my analysis of this whole process, really, is done in an effort to convince Trump supporters that the election was not stolen. If, if there is no other end result than that, I'm happy with it, right? But polls are saying that they still believe the election was stolen, and you know I don't know how we overcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, that, that was going to be my question. Do you think these hearings have moved the needle in any material way on, on that, that question, that, that, that there's really no, there's no basis to believe that an election was stolen? Do you think that, that anybody has come around to that conclusion that might have not thought of it before the hearing started? No, because I don't believe they're paying attention. Yeah. Thanks for well. I you know thanks. I don't know. I don't know if it's people not paying attention as opposed to just people believing what it is that they want to believe. I was. I had dinner last Friday night. I'm not going to mention his name, but I, I found it. I, I it was. I was. I was fortunate to be at this dinner party with some like really, really interesting and successful people. And the guy, one of the guys I was talking to, was just talking about how there's this theory out there, and I forget what he called it, but it was essentially that there's there's about 15 percent of the population who just will disagree with anything. Essentially, for for the sake of disagreeing, so I could say the sun is shining, and we could all walk outside. Yeah, we, the sun is shining. Fifteen percent of the people would say no, the sun's not shining. I could say the sky is blue. Fifteen percent would say no, that the sky's the sky isn't blue. That there's just that this certain percentage of people out there who just for whatever. They, 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 maybe, maybe they heard the weather report that said the sun wasn't going to be shining. So the weather report earlier this morning said the sun wasn't going to be shining. So it can't be shining. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's where you have it. You have a certain percentage of people who are, are dug in on this. You also have a certain percentage of people who are angry. Look, I understand. The left never accepted Donald Trump as a legitimate president from, from the very, beginning you you had the, the the whole stuff about like the russia thing and all which turned out to be completely and totally bogus but there was this effort from the beginning to completely discredit them and so i think now what you're seeing is some people on the other side saying well i that this is what went on now i'm just going to do this because the other side did it um at the at the end of the day though i gotta believe that there's 
there's this, whether you want to call them the silent majority or whatever, there's a large group of people out there who just see the need to move on. Joe Biden, as a president, has been a complete disaster. He is he is Jimmy Carter redo. He, he just, in my opinion, he is, and that's not going to change. And Donald Trump, as I've said before, I think Donald Trump has demonstrated, regardless of all the different accomplishments that he might have had as president, his behavior since the election and up to and including January 6th demonstrates him to just be completely unsuitable to be the leader of the free world, which is why we, we got I just think people have to move on. But the hearings have the hearings moved the needle in any way, shape or form. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, enjoy the show. I'm going to push back a little bit. Um, I think the hearings have been very instructive and I consider myself an independent, you know, more fiscally conservative, socially a little bit more liberal. I'm guessing more than half the country is like that. I, I do think these have been very illuminating. Some of this stuff has, has been said before. But when you see the people who were there, who were in the room, why this crap was going on, when you see them testify and you read their body language and you listen to their verbiage and how they describe things, I think it is illuminating. I, I think it does carry weight. This is more than just a TV show. In, in what sense? When you say, when you say illuminating... Do you think that, I guess... In, I think when you... Well, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I, cause I, what exactly do you mean? Because, again, my, my point is, uh, a lot of this stuff, this, this is the same sort of stuff. And, by the way, I'm, I'm not minimizing. That's I'm not minimizing it at all. But this is the same sort of stuff that, admittedly, not in quite as great a detail, but it came out in the impeachment hearings, you know, uh, you know, a year and a half but, ago. But your statement right there just said it. Your statement, your, your, the statement you just made, made, the statement you just made just said it. Not quite in this detail. I think the little detail that we are getting, the enhanced detail, I think is very informative. And when, when you see the people who are there talk about this stuff, for example, what the Secret Service, this is going to be a major scandal, um, in my opinion. And those three, the, the, the guy who was the driver, the TS guy, mm-hmm. God bless him, because he just got caught up in it. He's just the driver. But Ornato and the other guy, uh, who is head of Trump's detail, these two guys allowed themselves to get too close to the president. And Ornato sold his soul so that he could work in the White House. I don't understand that type of, of, of uh, uh, arrogance. But having said that, when the, the detail for Mike Pence, and I, I've never been a big Mike Pence fan, but man, do I respect that man. Yeah. And what he did, he saved the country. And his Secret Service detail, which we didn't know about until last night, they were telling people who are on the other end of the line, call my family, tell them I love yep. them, because they thought, you know what, this ain't going to end good. Where does this go, and in now, your you opinion? Where, where, where does guys, it go from here? Say it again? Where does this go from here? Well, you know, I think what's going to happen is, is politics is, is, is what it is. And if the sole reason was to make sure that Trump can't get reelected, then I think it's a worthy cause. But people are talking about Trump, how this was so deprived, the depravity of this, you know, with January 6th, this started before January 6th. This started when he was, this started when he decided to run for president. We have time and time and time again, clip and clip and clip over and over of stuff he has said, stuff he has done, and nobody held him accountable. And when Hillary Clinton, who I'm not a fan of, when she made the argument, words matter, she was right. Mm-hmm. Words matter. Okay, thanks and, for call, Mike. And I, I mean, I, I look... I, I again, I, I understand. I, my only point is, and 
I don't again I go back to this notion that while you fill in some of these details I'm not sure that the January I, I'm not sure what the purpose of this committee hearing is is the purpose of the committee to try to disqualify a potential political can, op- opponent we want to destroy Donald Trump Trump so he doesn't run again which I, I think a lot of people look I'm the guy that's saying I, I hope he doesn't run again I, I think he's a disruptive force I do not think he can win so is is that the purpose here okay we want to destroy him as a political figure well is that the purpose of of these various hearings? Now, I understand that there's a grand jury investigation that is going on, and maybe that will lead to charges. I tend to doubt it, but maybe that will lead to charges or or not. But I guess the the question becomes, at the end of the day, other than it makes good political theater and other, other than it makes good TV and other than it shows to perhaps legitimately demonize Donald Trump and his appalling behavior after the election. What What is the purpose of what has been going on here? What is really coming out that hasn't been known before other than some of the details? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. If you want to understand how out of control the criminal justice system is, and, and it is, and, if, and you think it's bad around here, and it is, this story out of New York State yesterday just, it sort of takes the cake. Lee Zeldin, remember that name, Lee Zeldin is the Republican candidate for New York governor. Um, now, New York is a very, very blue state. Lee Zeldin has probably very, very little realistic chance to get elected. But nevertheless, he, he's, he is campaigning aggressively. So yesterday, he's out. He's giving a speech. If you haven't seen this video, I, I encourage you, you can find it um, all over the Internet. He, he's outside a VFW hall in Fairport, New York, and he's standing on, on the bed of a truck, you know, so it's in the parking lot, and he's there, and they've got a microphone set up, and he's giving a speech. And you can very, very clearly see it. Somebody's, like, filming this, and you see what happens. There, There's a guy who you can see him kind of come out of the crowd, walk to the, the start of the flatbed truck, climb up, and then attack Lee Zeldin. He, he attacks him. And the guy who's attacking him has... I'm sure there is a name for this type of weapon, but it's kind of like brass knuckles. It's like brass knuckles on on one side, on the inside, and there's two big spikes on on either end of this. So he's wearing, like he's got a couple fingers in there holding this. He's got his fist, and then you've got the, these spikes coming out, and he's, he's punching at Zeldin, trying to, to stab him. Now, in the category of all's well that ends well, you have a, a number of people that are there, th- including um, including Zeldin, who they wrestle this guy to the ground and they hold him and the police show up and, and he is arrested. He tried to murder the Republican candidate for governor. Okay, all's well that ends well, right? He hasn't, you know, he, he didn't succeed. Uh, Zeldin uh, went and continued, actually ended up finishing his speech. The guy gets hauled off. Did I mention he tried to murder? He attacked the Republican candidate for governor of New York in an unprovoked uh, attack and then was, was ultimately subdued and carried off. Right, to show you how out of control the laws are in this country and in New York State, the guy who had, using this bladed weapon, climbed up on the bed of this flatbed truck and tried to stab Lee Zeldin, 
He was arrested. He was released within hours of his arrest on a felony charge. David Jukabonis, 43, from Fairport, New York, was arraigned overnight in Parenton Town Court on account of second-degree attempted assault stemming from his attack. He was immediately released on his own recognizance. <laughs> you know, it's just that what, when what, what Lee Zeldin said at the time, he said, and he sent out his tweet, his words as he tried to stab me a few hours ago was, you're done. But several um, attendees quickly jumped into action and tackled the guy. He tweeted out, law enforcement was on the scene within minutes. The attacker will be instantly released under New York's laws. And you know what? The attacker was instantly released or within a couple hours under New York's law. If you want to understand how screwed up we are when it comes to crime in this country and how liberal policies have really made all of us unsafe. I mean, a guy tries to stab the man running for governor and he's back out on the streets in the space of a couple hours. And, and by the guy, way, the guy that's running for governor is also a, a congressman from New York. I mean, it's sad. It is sad that you have a situation where you have some states and some communities that decide that they are going to support victims more, uh, support the criminals more than they are going to support the uh, victims. Which brings me to an update on a story that I, we talked about a couple days ago and we, um, I sent out on Twitter. Um, March 10th of 2018, a woman named Melissa Sandrone showed up at M&M Motors in West Dallas. She was dressed in camo. She had an arsenal of guns and knives with her. She pulls out of her, she gets, pulls in, jumps out of her car. One of the owners of the business, his name is Matt, he was like, he, he was putting air in a tire. So he's like kind of bent over putting air on a tire. She shoots him in the back of the head, shoots him in the back of the head, smiles, starts to run away, shoots at other people who are trying to chase her. Ultimately, she's caught, All right? Doctors say she is psychotic, delusional, and paranoid. The judge at the time says, well, I think that she... Um, you don't you don't want to use the word crazy, but he essentially says, I think she's crazy. I, I don't think that she can appreciate the wrongfulness of her conduct. I think she's mentally ill. So what we're going to do is I'm going to order her confined to a, a mental health facility for a term of 38 years. All right. Well, the, the victim who survived being shot in the back of the head um, says, well, I'm, OK, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, I don't care whether she's in prison or whether she's in treatment facility. What you have is you have a dangerous person. And I want her off the street for 38 years. Well, that sounds really, really good, except this is, of course, Milwaukee County. So what happened yesterday is there, were, there was a hearing that miraculously this woman who was dangerous, psychotic, delusional, paranoid, apparently some of the doctors have now decided, well, never mind. She has, she's, she's been cured. She's fine. After a couple years, she's fine and she should be released. And there's a Milwaukee Circuit judge who is apparently on <laughs> getting ready to sign off on a plan that will release her back into the community 
not after serving 38 years, not after serving 30 years, not after serving 20 years, not after serving 10 years, but actually serving less than five years. She will live at a brown deer adult group home. She will be monitored 24-7. Good luck with that. She will be weekly drug tested, and the Department of Corrections will monitor her. The uh, judge said, well, you know, I, I, I do I do have concerns about her, her staying sober. My view of the doctor's conclusions is that what will that's what makes her a danger to the community is drug use. So, OK, so you have a woman who dangerous psychotic who is unable a couple of years ago to conform her conduct to the requirements of the law because she was so mentally ill and apparently drugs contribute to that. So she shoots somebody in the back of the head. And then we're told, okay, she's so crazy, she can't even stand trial. Okay, that's all fine. She's committed for decades and decades. And a handful of years later, we now say, no, 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 she's all fine. But we are, of course, worried that, you know, there might, if if she goes back to using drugs, well, you know, then, then she's going to be a danger again. Well, how do you guarantee that she's not going to be using drugs? Maybe that's an indicator that she needs to stay in that mental facility until such a time as they can assure that, you know, if she comes out and she relapses on drugs, she really is, in fact, cured, and she's not going to get another gun and another bunch of ammunition and wear camo and try to kill somebody else. But that's not how the system works. And credit, where credit is due, the DA's office, which, as I am a very law, uh, critic on many occasions, they say this is a very serious case. The state obviously opposed the conditional release. We're discontinued. We're disappointed that the plan continues to be, in my opinion, not adequate. But now you have a judge. In this case, it's Milwaukee County Circuit Judge David Feist, who was not the judge that imposed the original sentence. He's decided, hey, I'm going to send this person out to this group home in Brown Deer, and we'll cross our fingers, and we'll hope nothing bad happens. And then I guess the question will be if something bad does happen because there's not sufficient control and somebody ends up dead, will the judge take responsibility for this particular decision? Just like we don't have judges taking responsibility for the bail decisions they make that put dangerous people back out on the street in a relative uh, relative hurry. So bottom line is. 38 years in a mental health facility has now translated into about three and a half years in a facility. We're going to release her and we're going to tell her, well, we, we don't want you to use drugs. And we're going to hope, 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 hope that that solves the problem. When it comes to dangerous, psychotic people, hope is not a solution. Looking for your next great career this Saturday morning at 6, tune in to Hired, the Good Karma Brands recruitment show. We'll showcase the best positions available within our company and other companies around southeast Wisconsin. This week, we feature two great area restaurants, Fox and Hounds and The Mineshaft. It's Hired, the GKB recruitment show, this Saturday morning at 6 o'clock. Yeah, check that out. There's been, since the, the Supreme Court overruled Roe versus Wade um, a month or so ago. There, there's been all this this consternation. Interestingly, there was a piece that I, I kind of agree with because it supports, I guess the numbers seem to support something I said at the beginning, that although there, there are some people who are very loud and vocal on this issue, it, it doesn't appear to be moving the needle as far as um, 
the polling are showing that yeah, there, there's people on both sides of this issue that feel very, very strongly, but it, it's not the driving issue that's affecting voters. And my take all along has been that, yes, there's some people who feel very, very strongly on the pro-choice, pro-abortion side, but there's also probably an equal number of people who feel very, very strongly on the pro-life, anti-abortion side of the aisle, and they kind of balance each other out. And the vast majority of people, I think, are in, in the middle on on this issue but for the vast majority of people while you might have an opinion on abortion it's not the driving decision that's going to motivate you to vote or it's not saying gee i'm going to vote for rebecca clayfish over tony evers because of this issue when i was otherwise going to vote for evers and and vice versa and that's i think how that's all going to to kind of play out i have said all along and i understand that some of you disagree with me i've understood i've argued all along that the way this issue has been portrayed is well i, I think it's it's misleading for example if if you do these polls they'll say well okay do you do you believe that a woman should have a right to an abortion and the numbers are about 60 to 65 percent say say yes and then everybody oh okay so overwhelming support for abortion but but actually it's a lot trickier than that because even among the groups that believe that there, there should be a right to choose to have an abortion, most of those people don't feel that there should be an unlimited right to, to choose. And, and so that's why I have always believed in Wisconsin, a- after Roe versus Wade, that at some point in time, and I don't know when that's going to happen, we, we need to have this debate honestly that says, okay, can we be an anti-abortion island in Wisconsin where all the surrounding states al- allow you know, abortions within certain restrictions? Or do we need to, I mean, again, legislatively move in that direction? And I, I think that's I think that's the answer. See, and I, I've said this before, I think, I don't know at what the magic time is. I think most people would support elective abortions up to a certain point in the pregnancy. Maybe that's 14 weeks, maybe that's 15 weeks, maybe that's 16 weeks, somewhere in that that range. And that covers the problems of rape and it covers the situations of incest and it recognizes that a woman has a right to choose. But at some point in time, that baby that she's carrying reaches a point where that baby has rights as well. Um, what are about 92% of all abortions are performed within the first 12 weeks and like 95% of abortions are performed within the first 15 weeks. So if you were to have, and again, I don't know what the magic thing is, 14 weeks, 15 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever. I don't know what that magic time is, but I think that's where the vast majority of people are. It's not no abortions at all, but it's also not unlimited abortion, which is why I found... This is extremely interesting. Tony Evers, I, I think, recognizes this. And, and Evers says, look, I'm, I, I'm all in favor of no restrictions at all. No restrictions at all. But as a compromise, I would be willing to look at a, a limit of around 20 weeks. And, and that's where the law was in Wisconsin before Roe versus Wade, 20 weeks. Evers says, I'd be willing... I'd be willing to have 20 weeks. Now, I personally think that that 20 weeks, that's, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, five months, five full months into the pregnancy. I, and again, it, we're always saying that afterwards you could have an exception for health of the mother or something like that. But elective abortions, 
after five months? I, I think that would make a lot of people squeamish. But anyhow, Evers is saying, hey, it's a compromise. I, I'd be willing to go back to where we were, you know, pre-Roe versus Wade, and, and say, you know, 20 weeks would be the limit. It is interesting to me because the two Democrats who are voting, who are running to be the lieutenant governor, Mandela Barnes is, of course, not running to be reelected as the lieutenant governor. He's running for U.S. Senate against Ron Johnson. The two candidates, Sarah Rodriguez, who is a Democrat from uh, Brookfield, and a candidate, Peng Her, they have both, they refused to even say that they would agree with the 20-week abortion ban during a debate they had two two days ago. Um, Rodriguez wouldn't answer the question about whether she would support a 20-week compromise and suggested placing a timeline-based restriction on abortion access was not a discussion worth having for Democrats. She's saying, if we are Democrats, we cannot even be discussing any limits on, on abortion, which is the old Russ Feingold argument about, no, I think somebody should be able to abort on a baby or up until the minute of birth, which is barbaric in the extreme. So I, I bring this up to say that we, we need to have, I think, cooler heads that prevail on this. And I think there is is a mainstream. And a lot of the media attention since Roe versus Wade has been struck down has been on the people, the, the right, um, the the pro-choice, anti, the, the anti-abortion folks who, uh, again, uh, oppose abortion in any circumstances like rape and incest. And the media is, oh, that this is an extreme position. I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of Democrats that have an, just as extreme a position on the other side, and, and you don't have that focused on. I mean, you know, the, you've got a candidate for lieutenant governor who's saying, I don't even think we should, Democrats should talk about putting any restrictions on. How dare we even discuss the fact that you might not want to have an elective abortion, abortion after you'd be denied the right to have an elective abortion after six or seven months of pregnancy. That, that, that is the extreme flip on the other side that's out there. And that's what never gets the attention called to it. I'm just saying sane people have to recognize that we've got to find a compromise. We've got to find a middle ground. But it's not just the anti-abortion folks that are driving that lack of common ground. You're getting a lot of that from the left as well. Yeah, the, the phrase is blood on his hands. It, it has happened again. During the, the newscasts, uh, Mike Spaulding told you the story of a guy named Alan Grant. Alan Grant is, he has got a lengthy criminal record. He is a felon. Alan Grant was arrested in March, pulled over from speeding, for speeding, fled from police, crashed his car, ran away, and had a gun on him when he was arrested. Now, again, he's a felon in possession of a gun. He's got a lengthy criminal record. So speeding, he takes off from the cops. How often do we see this? He's got a gun. He ends up getting arrested. He's brought in. A court commissioner in Milwaukee County initially sets his bail at 10000 bucks. Now, you could argue that given his criminal record and given the circumstances and a felon and a gun and fleeing the cops, that $10,000 bail is a stupid low bail. You can make that argument, but I'm not going to make that argument, all right? Don't have to, because two and a half weeks later, he appears in front of Milton Childs, who is a Tony Evers-appointed circuit court judge who is 
if not the most liberal circuit, I don't know when I say he's the most liberal circuit court judge, but he's one of the most liberal court judges. So the case comes in front of Judge Childs, who, instead of raising what you could argue was like a, a stupidly low bail, Childs reduces the bail to a thousand bucks, reduces the bail to a thousand dollars. So takes a ten thousand dollar bail, reduces it to a thousand, which he pays. So. He is released on a $1,000 bail, put back out into the community. July 8th, Alan Grant, out on bail, felon in possession of a gun before, not supposed to have guns, supposed to comply with all the terms of release. July 8th, Grant gets into an argument with his downstairs neighbor on West Carmen and allegedly shoots the guy three or four times. Now, you might say, Jeff. Wait a second, I, I don't understand. He's a felon in possession of a gun. He's not supposed to have a gun in the first place, and now he's out on bail, and they were told these are the conditions that you're supposed to follow. He could care less about that. We have no way of enforcing that. It, the, the orders, the pretrial release orders, are not worth the paper they are written on, which is why we have to protect the community. But anyhow, Judge Childs puts this guy out. He's not supposed to have a gun. Ha, well, he's, of course, got a gun. So July 8th gets into an argument with his downstairs neighbor on West Carmen, Shoots him three or four times. He then drives to a home on North 44th Street and allegedly shoots a woman once in the forehead while she was on the porch. So in the space of, well, about 15 minutes, he's now um, charged with multiple, multiple homicides. And this is a guy who shouldn't have been out in the first place shouldn't have been out in the first place. And this happens again and again and again. Two people are dead that would have otherwise been alive had you not had a judge that decides to take what you could argue was a stupid low bail in the first place and knock it down so that the guy gets out and then is in a position to kill two people. And I I said this at the time you had the the Waukesha Christmas Parade situation where you had the guy that was out on the stupid low bail who took the car and drove through the crowd and killed all those people and injured all those other people. And it was was put off as, as an aberration. No, it's not an aberration. This stuff happens on a daily basis. You have judges that are falling over themselves to try to put dangerous people back out on the street. And this is why I firmly believe that it... The legislature just has to take over. And, and this is one of the things when it, it's going to take a Republican governor to do this, to sign off on this. But we, we've got to change the whole bail rules. We, we've got to look at situations where you have dangerous people who are arrested for offenses. There, there has to be a presumption that they are going to be detained pending their trial because otherwise we continue to put the community at, re- at risk. And here's another situation where a defendant who shouldn't have been out in the first place But yet, for whatever reasons, you have a judge that decides to bend over to backwards, take a dangerous guy based on his history, and put him back out on the streets, telling him, well, as a condition of your release, I I don't want you to have guns. Well, okay, he was a convicted felon. It didn't stop him from having a gun when he got arrested after leading the cops on a chase in March. So why do you think he's not going to have a gun now? The only difference was, in this case, he's now used that gun, and two people are dead because of it, if his bail had not been reduced, he would still be in jail awaiting trial and two people would be alive. 
I, I know I carry on a lot about the out-of-control crime in this community, but here, here's the reality. The overwhelming majority, 95%, maybe more, of people are law-abiding, all right? There is a hardcore criminal element. Maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 2%. I don't know. Don't know what it is. But there's a hardcore criminal element at, that's out there, and they demonstrate that by their prior convictions. They demonstrate that by their prior behavior. We need to recognize, in order to protect the 95, 96, 97, 98% of people who are law-abiding, when we have these dangerous, dangerous people and when they continue to commit crimes, it is the moral obligation of a court system in a civilized society to protect the rest of us from those dangerous people. And for people who have demonstrated that they are incapable of conforming their conduct to the requirements of the law, what must, what must happen is when they commit crimes, they need to be held. They need to be held, and we don't do that. They don't need to be turned around and released. And you've got a handful of judges in particular that bend over backwards to turn people loose. And this is another one of these examples where we've done it. Two people are dead who otherwise would not have been dead were it not for this decision to take somebody who should have been behind bars, put them back out on the street, tell them, don't carry a gun, and we know how far that went. Blood on the hands of a system that allowed this guy back out on the street, and it's not an aberration. It happens with alarming regularity. And we've got to wake up and we've got to do something. If it means changing the laws to take power away from these judges, I'm all in favor of that. If it means replacing these judges who show, I I think, questionable judgment in these things, I'm all in favor of that as well. But how many more innocent people have to die because people who should have been behind bars in the first place are turned loose? Just asking. Interesting take in in the the Journal Sentinel. The headline says, followers of right-wing forum libs of TikTok harass Atosa first-grade educator for teaching pronouns at past job. That's an interesting take on this. A first-grade teacher in the Wauwatosa School District has been subject to a variety of threats and online harassment after the account Libs of TikTok posted an out-of-context picture of the teacher with a mug that says, Ask me about my pronouns. The teacher had posted the photo on Instagram in 2021 when he was a teacher at Stellar Elementary, part of the Carmen School System in Milwaukee. The post said we had a great pronoun discussion today with a photo of himself holding a, a mug. So here, here's the bottom line of what happened. And then what happened is when they put this on, they, they tagged the Wauwatosa School District, which is where the guy um, apparently has recently been hired. So... It's an interesting spin on this. And first of all, and I I say this from the left and and the right, for people who engage, for all the trolls out there who engage in online harassment, and it happens on, on both sides, you really need to knock it off. That's never excusable. And if there are, in fact, threats, I think, again, regardless of who they are coming from, they need to be directed to law enforcement. And if they turn out to be actionable, people who make these threats need to be prosecuted. So so period. That's all. That's unacceptable. But, I mean, here, here is, is the deal. The guy is going to be a first grade teacher. And he's clearly, you know, he's got this, you know, we, he says, well, we had this 
conversation about, you know, pronouns, uh, you know, in there. I've said for four years on this account, no human is more valuable than another. No human is too young to practice acceptance and empathy. Okay, well, I have I've argued before. This whole concept about pronouns and is is uh, is do you have a a boy who is born as a boy who is a girl you know that that's all well and good and you can have that conversation but there are certain conversations that are in fact age inappropriate I would argue that talking about pronouns in that context in a first grade classroom is completely and totally inappropriate all right now he didn't do it in Wauwatosa. And the school district said, all right, we're, we're looking at this and we're looking at a grade level appropriate essential outcomes as they relate to human growth and development. The teaching of pronouns is not aligned with the essential outcomes that currently exist for first grade. Thank you, Wauwatosa school system. You know, Wauwatosa school system is about as woke as they come. But even there, I think they acknowledge that, you know, being in a first grade classroom it's an inappropriate time to be talking about pronouns and okay well you know you you don't you know uh here's a little boy well we're not going to call him a little boy we're going to say what would you like to be little boy what's your pronoun do you want to be they do you want to be them do you want to be it do you want to be she whatever they're they're acknowledging that first grade is too young to have that and and that is to their credit and i assume that this teacher, regardless of how he might feel about the conversation of pronouns, and regardless of whether he says that, um, what's his phrase, that he thinks no human is too young to practice acceptance and empathy, that being, okay, pronouns, I assume that he is, when he starts teaching in the Wauwatosa School District, going to be willing to follow, you know, their dictates and not, you know, start going off and launching into these sort of conversations, which I think are just age inappropriate. Might be appropriate at some point in time, you know, for older kids. That That's fine. They can decide that. But I do think it's interesting that the spin the Journal Sentinel has chosen to give this is right-wing forum um, harass Atosa first-age educator for teaching pronouns at past job. The, the headline could just have easily been, Wauwatosa hires teacher who was, you know, talking about uh, pronouns to young kids. Okay, that could have been the spin on this. It's not the spin they, they choose to give it, which, again, is just an interesting editorial choice. Now, to me, this whole thing is pretty much much ado about nothing. The guy clearly has his own sort of belief and agenda, but that's all well and good as long as he's not in the Wauwatosa School District talking to first graders in this particular fashion, that then, then there's no problem. And so I think maybe it's it's a non-story. And as I said at the beginning, there's no excuse for anybody to be harassed. And that happens on both sides. But there, he shouldn't be harassed. And if there's threats or things like that, like I say, they're, they're actionable. It's just it's an editorial choice. And this kind of shows how the media looks at stuff. You could have presented the story in completely the opposite fashion. Wauwatosa hires a guy who's, you know, all about these pronoun things, you know, in his previous job in front of kids. And, you know, how, how does that play out? That's not how they chose to present it. They chose, in this case, to make the, the teacher the victim of this. And maybe there's a little truth in both approaches. But it's an interesting editorial choice that they made. The ability that Wisconsin Republicans have to shoot themselves in the foot electorally is just absolutely amazing to me. And it's one of the frustrating things. This this election 
coming up in November should be a landslide for for Republicans. You look at what's going on in in the economy. It, it should again be a walkover, and, th- and that happens from time to time. You know, you have you have situations where the pendulum swings one way or the other, and this is a year where Republicans are do, going to do incredibly well nationally, and they should do well. They should do well in Wisconsin as long as they focus on the things that voters care about. And and what are those things? Well, it's it's the economy, it's inflation, it's crime in some parts of, of the state. Th- these are the issues that move the needle. So what's the latest thing? Well, putting on her tinfoil hat, Representative Janelle Brangen, she's a Republican from Menominee Falls, she has decided to hop on the crazy train, put on her tinfoil hat, and join Republican candidate for governor Tim Rantham with their push to overturn the last presidential election. Now, now let me back up now, just for a second, because I want to have this kind of sort of come-to-you-know-who conversation that we need to have from time to time. There's no evidence that the 2020 election was, quote-unquote, stolen. There is evidence that in some areas, interpretations of election law were, were wrong, and, and maybe you know we, we made it easier for some people to vote than, than it perhaps should have been, and, and we're in the process of clearing that up. But there's no evidence that dead people voted. There's no evidence that uh, people voted two or three or four times. There's just no evidence of that. And there's no evidence to suggest that there's enough of that sort of thing that happened that would have changed the results of the Wisconsin election. But even if you change the results of the Wisconsin election, it doesn't change anything nationally. And by the way, we're already here in July of 2022. And for people out there, who seem to be holding on to this glimmer of, of thought that somebody's going to walk into the Oval Office, frog march Joe Biden out, and go down to Mar-a-Lago and install Donald Trump back as president, it isn't going to happen. You have hopped on the crazy train, and every ounce of energy you spend arguing about that detracts from the things that we should be arguing about, which is, okay, inflation and crime. And if you want to talk about election reform, that that's fine. You know, we need to make these changes. We need to toughen this aspect of law or that aspect of law. It, it's all well and good. Have that conversation. So what does the state representative say? She believes that tyranny is at Wisconsin's door. We have been told for months that, decertif- that now that decertification is impossible, meaning there is no downside to cheating in Wisconsin elections. How many more times do we need to endure this election injustice? Oh, for goodness sake. I, I mean, right, first of all, the, the idea of cheating, that, that's a very, very subjective term. What you have is you have a state elections board that gave certain advice, and you have some clerks that followed that advice. Now, that le- advice might have been legally incorrect. That doesn't translate to cheating. But regardless, you, you want to just take some of these people, figuratively speaking, kind of slap them around and say, what what are you trying to accomplish as opposed to trying to just appeal to this small like group of people who are, are hoping that somehow Donald Trump is going to be restored as president? It ain't going to happen. Donald Trump's going to be president. Well, Donald Trump's not going to be president again because he's got no chance of winning in 2024 if he runs. But for every one of these Wisconsin politicians that puts on their tinfoil hat and starts talking about decertifying, lesson, you cannot do it. There is no provision in the law to do it. It is unconstitutional to do that. It cannot happen. You need to move 
on. And if you want to talk about election reform, fine, talk about election reform, but you got to get past the we're going to decertify the election because it can't happen. And talking about it and pushing it, number one, makes you sound like a kook, and number two, it detracts from the winning messages that might get your side elected. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Two o'clock hour on Friday afternoons. Always kind of an interesting one at 2.30 or so. We have our Pop Culture Corner feature brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. Today's going to be a fun one. Uh, I want to start off, though. I want to talk about Every once in a while, there are terms that I hear that I've never heard before. And struck one of those today it's linear tv what does linear tv mean linear tv is essentially it's what we know simply as as television you know any broadcast station or regular cable satellite internet subscription that's broadcast to a tv through an antenna or through a cable box is considered linear tv the same people watch the same ad in the same geographical area on the same program so the, the idea is okay it's five thirty at night and um in this time zone you everybody that watches world news tonight watch it on uh, on channel uh 12 uh, watches world news tonight on channel 12 you you all watch it at the same time it's presented and and you end up watching it that's linear tv we brought you watch it on an original channel and you watch it when it is broadcast at the time it is broadcast all right that that's it now it's been interesting see that's the way the television was pretty much forever. I mean, I've told this story before. I'm old enough to remember, but I, I was even around before there was cable television. Yep. And I can remember around here growing up in the Milwaukee area, there was channel four and six and 12, and there was 18 and there was 24. And then there was channel 10 and 36. They were the PBS stations. That was pretty much it. Forget pretty much that. That was it. Those, those were your choices of what you were going to watch on, on TV. And everybody watched the same thing at the same time. If you wanted to watch I don't know, Hill Street Blues. Well, okay, you, you wait until 9 o'clock on Thursday night and you watched Hill Street Blues. And everybody watched Hill Street Blues at the same time. And you, if you missed that episode, well, then, you know, because you were out doing stuff on Thursday night at 9 o'clock, well, then you had to wait till they, they showed it in reruns. That was just the nature of the beast. And then you had cable TV come in. And cable TV expanded the choices that you had to watch television. But really, it, it was still... You, you had to watch that at the time that the, the show was being broadcast on, on the different cable channel. Well, that, that has changed. First of all, it started to change with the advent of, of video recorders so that you could record the show. Gee, I'm not, I'm not going to be home Thursday night at 9 o'clock because I'm out doing other stuff, so I'll set my VCR and I'll, I'll tape the show. So you had that happen and that that's how it started and then of course then we moved into the the dvr aspect where okay the show airs at nine o'clock on a thursday night but you're not going to be home at nine o'clock on a thursday night so you just you know figure out how to set your dvr and and you set it then you watch it at whenever you want but the show is still going to air regularly at nine o'clock on a thursday night that's the linear tv they show stuff at a given time now with streaming services 
it's it's a different ball game. You watch what you want when you want to watch it. So last night, for example, um, I, I I was at home and I wanted HBO Max. There's this new document. It's like a six part documentary on Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Paul Newman. They were both these huge movie stars in the sixties and seventies and eighties. And there was this there, there was a documentary about it. And it's like a six part documentary, and it, it dropped yesterday. So I, I went on to HBO Max and. I don't know what time it was, maybe 9.15 or something. I, I click on that. I watch the first two episodes. I've still got four more to go. But I, I watch those episodes when I want. I don't have to wait for them to air. It's just that they're all there. You go on Netflix, and you kind of go up and down. And you say, okay, do I want to watch a movie? What kind of movie do I want? Do I want to watch a documentary? You don't have to wait till a particular time. Now, you do have to wait till the day that the show drops, you know, they, they first put it up there. But once it's up there, you, you can watch it. Any time of the day or night, you don't have to wait till eight o'clock on a Thursday night or nine o'clock on a Thursday night. You wake up in the middle of the night; it's three in the morning. You want to watch the show? Boom! You you fire up Netflix, you fire up Hulu, you fire up Peacock, whatever your show is, whatever your streaming thing is, and you watch it whenever you want. So that's kind of the distinction between streaming and the more linear TV services. I bring this up because the CEO of Netflix is out today, and. He is predicting that linear TV, again, you wait, it's, the show airs at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. He says it's going to be gone. He said streaming is working everywhere. Everyone is pouring in. He said it's definitely the end of linear TV over the next 5 to 10 years. So what he is essentially predicting is this way that we have watched TV. Now, I don't know that that necessarily means it's the end of broadcast television, but but maybe. But he's saying, you know, within five to ten years, that this idea that we're going to wait for 5.30 at night to watch the newscast, that, that's, that's not going to be there anymore. And I don't know what it means for the big over-the-air networks other than to say that, this guy's predicting that they, they might be history. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I don't know about five or ten years, but I do know that streaming is the wave of the future. And when it comes to entertainment programming, with the exception of sports is different, you know, because the you know, you want to watch the Packers game while well, the Packers game kicks off at, at noon. Well, you know, that's live sports that you're going to have to be there. But as far as, you know, entertainment, you know, is is it a valid point? Do you think streaming is going to kill this, this linear TV? So it's not going to be anymore. You wait till eight o'clock on Monday night to watch Better Call Saul. It's those stations aren't going to be there anymore. Better Call Saul is going to be available to be streamed on AMC Plus, and they're going to release it on a certain time, and you're going to be able to watch it at your convenience. Will has will streaming essentially kill broadcast TV, particularly from an entertainment perspective? Is this what it's, is this what the future is going to look like? We watch what we want when we want, and. This idea that, okay, Gold Rush, I like Gold Rush. Gold Rush is on at 7 o'clock Friday night. Jeff, it's, you don't have to watch it. You know, you just wait till whenever it drops, and then you, you watch it at your own time. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss. 
855-616-1620. Now, I admit it, it's, it's somewhat in his self-interest, but the guy who's the president, the CEO of Netflix, which is probably the nation's largest streaming service, says, hey, within five to ten years, linear TV, which is broadcast TV, we're going to put on a show at nine o'clock at night, everybody who wants to watch that show is going to, and this, it, everybody's going to watch it at nine o'clock or in the Eastern Seaboard time zone, it'll be 10 o'clock, but everybody's going to watch the same show at the same time. He says that's history. That model doesn't work anymore. Streaming is taking over and that's going to be the future and that within five to 10 years, linear TV is going to be a thing of the past. 855-616-1620. It's moving in that direction. And I do think if I were, I don't know, if I were at CBS or NBC or ABC, I'd kind of be, I'd wonder what that's going to look like. That's why more and more of the cable channels are, by the way, they're moving to their own streaming services as well. You've got a Discovery cable channel, but you've also got Discovery Plus. You've got the streaming channel where you can watch all those things as you want it. 855-616-1620. Is linear TV going to be a thing of the past? Let's talk to Danny in Janesville. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I kind of agree that I can see it going, you know, the way of the dodo. I'm wondering, though, about, you know, the time period. I mean, five to ten years, I think that might be a little quick, but yeah, I mean, the only reason I I believe that, yeah, I, I could see it happening is because, you know, I discovered streaming within the last couple of years or so. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I I get home, you know, do I turn on, you know, me TV or one of the other ones, you know, like I used to? No, now I'm turning on Hulu, and, you know, there's a thousand and one documentaries available. There's a thousand and one old TV shows I can watch. You know, there's all the new movies and so on that Netflix is making and Hulu is making right. and so on and so forth. And, yeah, I'm just, you know, I want to go ahead and watch what I want to watch when I want to watch it. And now, you know, that that's, you know, extremely available. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, and thanks for calling to Danny. And, and like I say, even a lot of the, the traditional cable companies are, are moving, that they have stream, they have, cable channels have have streaming platforms and again i I use the example of paramount which is you know one of the cable networks well they've got a paramount plus that you pay extra for uh discovery channel discovery has its its plus thing um espn you know espn plus now i I mean i I, is it possible that at some point in time espn as an entity on on cable TV may disappear, and instead what you're going to find is it's all going to be through like an ESPN Plus streaming service? I mean, possible. I, I, do you think it's necessarily likely? I don't know, but but it's certainly, it is possible. I think when it comes to like the broadcasting, I, I guess one of the things that struck me is, I talked about this before, the Emmy nominations you know came out a couple weeks ago, and three quarters of the shows, I'm willing to bet that, that most people have never heard of or even if they might have heard of them, they haven't watched them because it's so diverse. There's all these different cable channels that are there. There's the streaming networks. And I, I think there were only a handful of the shows that are on what I'm calling the traditional broadcast network. So people are getting their entertainment from different sort of sources. I think five to ten years might be a little bit quick. And I don't know how, again, sports factors into all this because sports is that, – that's why – I mean, that's why sports – 
um, captivates and captures a premium of advertising dollars because I, I understand there's some people who let's use my example of a of a Green Bay football game. You know, maybe there's some people who say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to record the game and then I'm going to watch it later and I'll go through all the commercials and stuff like that. There's some people who do that, but most people, you, you want to experience it live. You don't want to wait three or four hours to find out what happened in the game. And so for sports, that's why you've always got that. But for the, the TV shows, you know, not not so much. I just think that streaming is going to be the wave of the future. Bob, Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I agree, too. Um, the networks, they they don't have the uh, luxury of letting a show uh, catch on for two or three years. They're, they um, cut them real quick if they don't uh, have an immediate appeal. Uh, networks are bringing back shows from the dead, like the original Law & Order, and there's been about three or four that they've brought back. And I think um, people are getting their news at different places, yep. uh, People don't like commercials. I know I have um, HBO, Showtime, Stars, and a lot of my favorite shows and are are on cable. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much um, more um, entertaining yeah. than uh, the uh, traditional one. So, and I think, like you said, sports sports is um, better seen live. So it still uh, captures major uh, advertising dollars. But I, I do think that it's it's a lot easier to have um, a show that's only 13 episodes that you mm-hmm. have to make a year than yeah. perhaps the uh, 20 episodes. I, I mean, I, I still watch stuff on uh, free television, um, The Rookie and, and yeah, a few but, others. Yeah, but, 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 but I mean, they used to call about, but, but it's a handful of them. I mean, and, and again, I'm, this isn't a diss on, on cable networks. I'm just... I'm, I'm sort of looking at, at business models and where the future is going. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that, can, let me see a show of hands, for the vast majority of people out there, do you, do you actually, how many non-sports shows do you actually watch when they are on? Or do you time shift? I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I like Gold Rush, okay? That, that airs on the Discovery Channel. It airs like 7 to 9 o'clock on Friday nights. Well, okay, tonight I'm not going to be home from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. So what I, I've done is I've got the DVR set, and so I'm going to record it, and then I will watch it you know, probably sometime over, over the weekend. I'm going to watch it on my own time. Well, that's only one step away from the, the streaming stuff where – you know, I mean, the, the only I am essentially streaming, I'm recording it and then I'm going to watch it later and I will sur- fast forward through the commercials that that's the essentially just one half step away from, hey, just just put it out there. You drop the show and then, you know, just skip, you know, having to you know set the DVR to do it. I think as more and more people do it, you're going to see you're going to see a, a major change in in the way television stations operate. Will it be the end of over-the-air broadcast TV? Well, that's kind of tough. Like I said when I was kind of leading into this, I I, I remember somebody who's made a living for the last, you know, I've, I've been getting paid to do radio shows in this market for going on 27 years full of part-time. And, I, I mean, I, I've always remembered people said, oh, radio's dead, radio's dying. Well, no, I'm here to tell you, radio is thriving. You know, we've we figured out, we, we fill a, a certain niche. We are 
we're, we're, we're thriving and have figured out a way to continue to thrive. I, I think that's going to be the channel. That's going to be the challenge for the, the over the air broadcast networks and, and the, the basic cable networks as well. If they're going to survive and thrive, they have to figure out, you know, what niche they're appealing to. Cause I think more and more people are going to go to those kind of streaming services. Gee, I, I watch Discovery Channel. I like it a lot. Well, okay. Do I really want to wait till Friday and watch stuff over the air and have to go through the hassle? of DVRing it, or would I be better off just, I don't know, paying the four ninety nine a month and then having that service that are there? Jeff, the Brewers and Bucks are already on the Bally's app. They soon could be behind a, a paywall. Jeff, I'm sure linear TV will disappear, but I just like to turn on the television and see what's up and down and flip up and down the channels and watch a few time shows at one time. I would never stream and watch a show a second time. It just takes so long to get into those systems. Well, that's, I mean, that that's the factor. And somebody else is pointing it out. Jeff, streaming only works if you have good Internet. We've been unable to get Internet at our home in Dodge County as it was full initially. And now we might have to get, well, maybe to get a very very small amount. Well, yeah, yes, you need a good you need good internet service to pull stuff like that off. I, I'm just saying that I thought it was interesting that the guy uh, from Netflix is saying, "Hey, I think streaming is the way of the future." And originally, I was just kind of dismissive, thinking, "Yeah, what's he talking about?" But you know, more and more, I find myself moving away from linear TV. And if somebody like me is doing that, my guess is that there's a lot of people younger than me that are doing it in a big way. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. It is Pop Culture Corner time. We have a little bit of fun leading into the weekend. All right, I, I want to give you, and this is, of course, uh, presented by Palermo's Pizza. One of our callers during the segment, in the complete and total discretion of my producer, Charlie, <clears throat> will win our Palermo's Pizza prize package, which people have won it. Tell me it's really cool. It's a couple uh, certificates for a couple pizzas, and it's a really cool pizza cutter and a couple other things as well. And he will pick one of the callers, and it is in his discretion exclusively. So be nice to Charlie. All right, I want to give you a little bit of a, of a hint as to where we're going. I apologize up front for the earworm because you will be humming this tune all weekend but it is a recognizable tune all right everybody knows that right it is the theme from the 1960s television show the monsters starring fred gwynn who um, he's probably best known to more modern audiences as he was in one of his final performances. He was the the judge in the um, in the the Joe uh, Pesci movie, um, you know, with with Vinny. That was he was um, that was his role in that particular thing. It also starred Yvonne DiCarlo as his wife Lily Munster, and uh, she was a she's a big time actress who ended up doing the Munsters and stuff like that. So why are we playing the Munsters theme song? Well, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Um, I've got a link to this. There's a new Munsters movie 
that is in fact coming out. Rob Zombie, of all people, he's just produced a new Munsters movie, and it is going to drop on September 27th. It's not going to be in movie theaters. It's going to be exclusively on Blu-ray, DVD, and on-demand platforms, and later this year it's going to show up on Netflix. But it is a remake of of the Munsters, and apparently I, I've got a link to the trailer. I watched, I've watched the trailer a couple times, and actually I've been humming the Munsters theme song version for the better part of the last couple days. So that's that's sort of my earworm as well. But for Pop Culture Corner today, I, I thought, okay, they're remaking the Munsters. All right, and that, that's, that, that's cool for people who will remember that. In addition today, I, I saw the news that um, Tariq Black, who was one of the performers on Hill Street Blues, which I think is one of the great, great TV shows of all time. It's kind of dated if you go back and watch it, but I, I just loved Hill Street Blues when it was on. Um, I, I saw that he passed away at the age of 82 today. So I'm thinking, okay, Hill Street Blues might be one of those as well. My question for Pop Culture Corner is, what television show from the past would you like to see remade and maybe i mean maybe it's like a silly show like a gilligan's island you know maybe it's like gee i'd like to see them bring back la law now obviously you know with the monsters most of the principal people that appeared the monsters have passed away i guess uh, my understanding is a couple of the the cast members who are still alive have like little cameo parts but our number is 855-616-1620 which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line in recognition of the fact that the monsters is being brought back in a straight to dvd and straight to on demand movie what TV show would you like to see be remade? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. And Pop Culture Corner, of course, presented by Palermo's Pizza. 855-616-1620. If you're just tuning in, the, the Munsters, the old TV show from the 60s that ran, I think, two, maybe three seasons. They made a movie of it as well. Um, Rob Zombie is, is producing a new Munsters movie. I have, if you follow me on Twitter, at uh, Jeff Wagner 620. I've got the link to the the um, to the trailer that they just dropped, and it's it's very cool. It's fun. 855-616-1620. Okay, what TV show would you like to see them bring back? Let's start with Brian in New Berlin. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff. Hi, Brian. I'd love to see Cheers again. I miss I miss Thursday nights. Uh, you know, we we got a few versions of it. Whether it was with Shelley Long or Kirstie Alley. Uh, you know, Woody Harrelson eventually is a bartender replacing the coach. Uh, always a great 30 minutes for, for a long time. Right. Now, would you mind, obviously, a lot of the principals, older and stuff, would you recast it, Bring you know, start with the same kind of characters, but different people in all the different jobs? I'd be really torn. I, I realize it's been a long time in the ages. Yeah. yeah. No, but, I, but I would take a... I, a replica version. Yeah, no, thanks. And I think that that that's that's. I mean, it's been a long time since Cheers was on, but yeah, it's you could you could recreate that. And then what's always kind of fun is that you have some of the original characters, you know, come back and walk through like little like walkthroughs and cameos in the the updates, you know, playing different characters. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Bill and Fond du Lac. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Charlie. Um, you might be old enough to remember The Outer Limits. Yep. It's not a sitcom, but it was always a really good sci-fi show. We have taken control of your TV set. Right. I mean, The, the Outer Limits was on about you the same time it. as the TV as uh, the Twilight Zone, right? Those were kind of the competitors. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that would be my other choice. Those were always interesting and suspenseful. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I was there, – there, people back in the day, you, you were either – Generally speaking, you were either one of the guys that, that liked the Twilight Zones or you liked the Outer Limits. I, I always I was more of a Twilight Zone sort of guy, and you know they, they've tried. On, I mean, they made a Twilight Zone movie. There, there's been remakes of the Twilight Zone on a couple different occasions, including one I think a, a, just a couple of years ago. It was on one of the streaming services. Um, there, there's always an appeal and an interest in those kind of of stories. It, it that's one though that it's tough to it's tough to top the original. I think Rod uh, Serling was just such an incredible talent. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm, well, what do you think? What movie do you want to see remade? Uh, TV show. I'd like to see Happy Days redone. Oh, okay. Again, now obviously, a lot of those guys, those people have, have completely aged out and stuff. So, recreate it with a new yeah. Fonzie, a new um, Richie, a new all those people. Yeah, and I mean, of course, the fifties um, set was cool, but you could even do a different decade, like the eighties or something like that. Um, but just kind of like the same characters. Yeah, you know that that's that's. I mean, I think thanks for calling. I mean, Happy Days sort of captured a, a particular. Time and it, and it came around at the right time because the seventies had all this turmoil that was going on, and it was kind of that okay, this is going to be a, a nice lighter one. You know, it is an interesting concept though. As, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, keep in mind, like the, the TV show The Wonder Years with with Fred Savage. I mean, and Winnie Cooper. I used to at least I love The Wonder Years. Well, they brought that back on ABC, and I, I don't know if it's still on or not. But a year or two ago, and, and they they restaged it this time. You know, with a black family, and they they got to tell stories from a different perspective and I thought that that was really creative the way they ended up doing that 855-616-1620 let's talk to Don Don you're on WTMJ good afternoon hi Jeff hi Don uh, I always had the biggest I had the biggest crush on Elizabeth Montgomery yeah everybody Therefore, did Therefore, I'd love to see Bewitched I know Bewitched would be my choice and I would cast Blake Lively as Samantha <laughs> And Bill Hader as Darren. I think they would remake that just so well. Yep, yep, yep. Did you watch um, I Dream of Jeannie as well, which was kind of like a, a knockoff of, of Bewitched? They, they ripped off the Bewitched thing. Yeah, but Barbara Eden was never Elizabeth Montgomery. <laughs> well, um, Don, obviously my producer Charlie agrees with you because you are the winner this week of our of our Palermo's prize package. And we'll, I know he's gotten your information. We'll, we'll send you the coupons and the pizza cutter and all that sort of stuff. So thanks for participating. And I, I can't disagree. I, I had a big I had a big crush on on um, Elizabeth Montgomery as well. <laughs> thanks for the call. Um, yeah, it just she was, of course, Samantha Bewitched was the show that um, originally you had uh, Dick York, who played the husband Darren, and then it was ultimately that was Dick Sargent and all. Uh, the original Darren was the best of those, but Agnes Moorhead played the mother. Yeah, Bewitched would be a great show that you could do a remake of as well, and I think that you could, um, you know, turn it around. Let's talk to Randy. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. I listen to you all the time. I Thanks. got to meet you at State Fair a few years ago. Thank you. Looking Good. forward to maybe meeting meet, meet you again this year, maybe. We'll I'll be out there just the last two days. I'm on. I'm gone for several days because we're on our Alaska trip with listeners, but I will be there the last two days, the Thursday and Friday. So if you're out there those two days, stop by and say hi. I'd enjoy it. 
I will. My show, uh, my pick would be uh, Cheers. Okay. I thought it was a magical show, magical show, and I thought the writers did just an excellent job on that show. Who was your favorite character? It, uh, it was. Uh, well, I love Coach, yeah. and then Woody came along, and yeah. he changed all that, so it was good. <laughs> but yeah, but it was a great show. No, it was. No, thank, thanks. For, it, it absolutely was. Cheers was was just, and, and Ted Danson was was perfect in that role. All right, let's. I've, I've ignored the text line here, Jeff. For me, I'd love to see a remake of the Gong Show, the old Chuck Barris show. They, you know, that they've tried that a couple times, and it just. You know, it hasn't quite taken off. Jeff, I'd like to see a comeback movie version of Boston Legal with David Spader and William Shatner. I watched every episode when it originally aired. Jeff, for me, it would be Night Court. Okay, a number of people are saying, Jeff, I would say I'd love to see Leave It to Beaver or The Brady Bunch. Well, you know, they did have a couple of those Brady Bunch movies. uh, I was going to say a few years ago, but it was several years ago. Speaking of Cheers, what was Shelley Long who played the original love interest in Cheers. She was Mrs. Brady, as I remember. And those were kind of campy, but they were clever. Jeff, I would love to see Barney Miller remade. Yeah, that was kind of a... Hal Linden played Barney Miller, and that was kind of a cult favorite as well. Let's see. Um, Jeff, I would love to see a remake of MASH. Huh. That's kind of interesting. You know, MASH... I... You know, it, it was set in cert, a certain time. Of course, you know, it was set in the Korean War, but it was kind of a parable, parable, uh, parable to what was going on in Vietnam at the time. I, I don't know. Don't know. Jeff, um, I would love to see the X-Files back. Well, you know, they brought the X-Files back for, what, a, a couple years. Um, but, yeah, I think that would be one that would be absolutely outstanding. Jeff, I'm with you on, on Hill Street Blues. Definitely Hill Street Blues. You could... You could see trying to recast that, bring it back, make it a little bit more gritty. Jeff, for me, it would be Charlie's Angels. Well, okay, you've got the Charlie's Angels movies that are out there as well. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Well, we're really kind of dating ourselves with Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. But, yeah, that was a, a very popular TV show. What was it? David Hedison and uh, Richard Basehart. Yeah, he played the Admiral. I... I'm embarrassed that I know all this stuff. My head is filled with useless but nevertheless important information. Jeff, I would love to see Get Smart brought back. Yeah, um, one of the you know original kind of spoofs on the old James Bond movies that came out at that time. Jeff, I would love for someone to remake the series um, Miami Vice. However, I would like that the characters to remain the, the same. Huh. Well, you know, they did the Miami Vice movie a long time ago, and that was only so-so. I loved Miami Vice at the time. Jeff, I wouldn't be adverse to a big-screen remake of Hogan's Heroes. Uh, not going to happen. <laughs> that Hogan's Heroes was always, it was like, okay, it, it's in a prisoner of war camp, really? And I just... It, it was controversial even for its time, and a lot of people thought it was in incredibly bad taste. I just don't see that we're going to see uh, that coming back. Jeff, WKRP in Cincinnati. Well, okay, somebody who you know makes a living talking into a microphone. I've always loved WKRP in Cincinnati. They, they tried to remake it. Oh, gosh, what, about 15, 20 years ago? They, they tried to remake it, including bringing back a couple people, and it just wasn't quite the same. But, yeah, I think that that would be fun. Jeff, my wife says Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. 
That's from Saturday Morning TV. I remember that. Jeff, I'd like to see 24 Hours brought back and remade. Yeah, that was incredibly popular there. WKRP in Cincinnati. A um, number of people are mentioning that. Uh, Jeff, it would be difficult to recreate, but the Mary Tyler Moore show, that was great as well. For me, Jeff, I'd love to see Murder, She Wrote brought back, something in that genre of murder mystery without all the intensity of the current shows on TV. Well, okay, all these are, are great ideas, and who knows? Like I say, the Munsters movie drops um, in, in mid-September, and if that's incredibly popular, maybe that will open the door to other sorts of remakes. Like, I, I know they've done all sorts of follow-ups on Gilligan's Island, and I know uh, Tina Louise is the only, the ginger character is the only one that's still alive, but boy, wouldn't you like to see them once and for all get off that island? Just asking.